Recording in progress. How's everything? It's all right. How's it going? It's going all right today, actually. Yeah, a little change of plan. Uh, supposedly, my wife was going to go meet up with some of our friends. And so they were going to be gone during the day. So I was going to have a day of, I guess, mowing the lawn and then playing guitar or something. But instead, they stayed home because one of the little kids got sick, uh, her friend's kid. Uh-huh. So we, uh, I mowed the lawn anyways. So really shaking things up today. Wow. Yeah. Such a rebel you are. The time change kind of threw me off. I'm glad that you remembered. No, my phone remembered. Um, you know, clock. I know I give you a lot of shit about your phone, but I wouldn't have put it past your phone to not be able to adjust for the oh, time sh- automatically. Oh, <laughs> shut up. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome to Scatterbrain Podcast, episode 103. Hey there. Howdy. Yeah. Howdy, partner. How's it going, Pilgrim? About as good as could be expected for a Sunday. Yeah. yeah. How yeah. about you? I saw, uh, I know you had some issues with your car. I had issues with my car. My car is actually in the shop right now, too. <laughs> Planned obsolescence, man. They're all time to die at the same time, like right before you get it smogged. Yeah. Well, to be fair, my car is 10 years <clears throat> old, has 100. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> As I have said before, for those that are regular Ooh. listeners, they would know Ian is Ooh. not a gentleman. <laughs> yes, I am. I'm a complete gentleman. Thank you. So what, uh, what, what's wrong with your car? Uh, so I had a couple things going on, but the things, you know, 10 years old. So it's, it's been good up to this point. Uh, had to ha- have to have it smogged, you know, of course. And then they want the star station probably because it's 10 years old. So recently my check engine light had come on. Mm-hmm. so of course you have to have that addressed mm-hmm. beforehand so that's what it's doing and then randomly uh the one of the passenger doors like the rear one wouldn't lock or unlock automatically anymore like the lock, the lock worked if you did it manually but not with the key fob or with the switch on the other doors uh-huh. so got that fixed as well while it was in there wow what a piece of shit that is that ancient 10 year old car <laughs> well you know it starts adding up though i mean try 23 and 23 uh, 23 and 24 year old cars is what i have yeesh yeah well the camry has the camry has one window that doesn't roll up or down it falls down every now and then only one window actually rolls up and down with the electric uh you know with a little electric uh what do you call it window roller upper um the 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 heading you know the, the stuff the vinyl or whatever the fabric on the ceiling is starting to fall down so i have to tear that all out Let's see, the door handles are all screwed up. Can't put a new one on the driver's side, but you still can't open it from the outside. You have to open it from like the back door or something. Oh, you get to do like the Dukes of Hazard through the window that won't roll up. I did at one point. Um, I did at one point, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's see the- uh, Do you run and skid right off the top of the, the hood? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, the driver's side rear view mirror, you know, on the door uh, fell off. So can't add to like totally jerry-rig that back on. Um, let's see, what's, uh, what else is there? It just goes on and on and on, dude. It's ridiculous. It's like pretty soon they're like, if I get it running again, I bet I'll put it right before my transmission dies. I'll put it in gear. And, <laughs> and that thing, that don't, thing you're not just, leaving me on that one, dude. <laughs> dude, that thing will just come off right in my hand or something. I guarantee it, dude. Cause it's all like plastic. There's nothing metal in that car at all. It's just all rubber and plastic. So everything's falling apart, but you know what works awesome in that car still the air conditioning. It, it spits out <laughs> ice cold freaking air. Great. That's pretty good. Actually, when it's hot, that's it. Well, yeah, it doesn't matter if you can't roll your windows up. <laughs> <Fucking sucks. laughs> I guess that's true. It's kind of a moot point. <laughs> so, yeah, you and your oh so old 10 year 10 year old car with what one issue and an engine light. I think you're I think you're fine. You're doing good. I'm not complaining necessarily. It's been a good car, but it's at the age where things start to fail. I'm just trying to keep it going for my oldest one. He drives it next year. So I'm trying to eke out another year of no car payments before you get something new. You, you got to just, you got to like, just get it right on the hair's edge right before you give it to him. So it instantly breaks down. So you can teach him a life lesson right off the bat. 
That sounds like a shitty idea. Be a, be a good dad. Be a good dad. He's got to learn sometime. Might as well just do it when he's young and, and strong. <laughs> just set his expectations real low right from the gate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then every car he gets after that, it doesn't break down all the time. He'll be happy. The first car I ever got was a Datsun B210. And um, it drove like shit and it broke down constantly. And I remember, I remember driving thinking, I'm what, 17 or something, thinking, how come I don't see all these other cars on the side of the road all the time? How come no one else breaks down all the time? <laughs> this is bullshit. Yeah, that thing was, oh, God, what a nightmare that car was. Had electrical issues and everything. Like, at one point, the uh, ignition, I, I, like, turned it, you know, went to turn it on, and the ignition literally, like, fell off and was dangling and, and was on the ground. And so I could just, like, you could use anything, like a screwdriver or whatever, to turn the car on. And I remember I, I, we were partying at a park at uh, Cabrillo, I think, and my friend Ron and I, and I parked up top, and we hiked around stuff, we're drinking beers, and then... I came up top and I didn't think anything of it. And I talked to my mom the next day and she goes, yeah, the police like took down, they were up there and they took down your license plate number and they thought it was stolen because the ignition was just hanging out like basically <laughs> on the floor. And they called and talked to my mom and everything. And my mom's like, oh no, he's probably just having beers down in the park or something. And then they just left. Didn't even leave me a ticket or nothing. I was like, holy shit. Well, they figured, they figured that this poor guy had the car with the ignition. In the days before cell phones. Yeah. They, they had to like, call it into my mom it's so funny interesting how that would those technologies change things so much you, you see a lot of these seinfeld episodes or certain movies from the 80s and 90s that would never happen now if you just had a phone i remember when i had my 69 dodge dart slant six i loved that car that was an awesome car but um when it got on empty it, you know the the needle would hit empty and boom it'd run out of gas and I'd be on the side of the road. You had no cushion whatsoever? None in that car, none. When it was on E or about to hit E, it was like panic time. Got to get to somewhere to get some gas. Because as soon as it hit the E or touched the color, it was out of gas. And that happened to me multiple times in that car. And no cell phones, man. You had to you had to hike to the nearest pay phone. And if you didn't have change on you, you had to call collect. You know, cell phones. I don't think kids realize how easy they have with cell phones. Absolutely. Uh-huh. We used to do that. Did you ever do the thing where you do a collect call? And you'd say, Mama, I'm done at the mall, pick me up. That way it would just say, would you accept a collect call from Mom, I'm done at the mall, pick me up? Did you ever do that? No, I wasn't that smart, I guess. That's messed Waste up. Waste not, want not, buddy. I always like the idea of like when you send someone a letter, you, you mail it from not your address, but you mail it from somewhere else, you know, like a, one of the ones on the side of the road. But instead of putting their address, you put your address as the return as the uh, as the address you're sending it to and then put the address you're sending it to as the return address and you get to send it for free just don't put a stamp on it and they return it to the other address you don't think they're wise to that one hey this one's going to chicago but to come to san diego but it's got no postage in san diego right down the street from this address why did they come all the way a block away from this guy's house to mail it from colorado yeah. that doesn't make any yeah. sense exactly i never tried it it might work no it wouldn't have worked but if you mail it within the city though and and you mail it from like an in-between point, they wouldn't know. Scatterbrain podcast does not condone mail fraud? or endorse federal mail fraud. Okay. All right. No, we don't. We don't at all. But um, apparently collect call fraud is okay. There's a statute of limitations, right? That's genius, actually. Hey, I'm, I'm blah, blah, blah. Pick me up. Will you accept the call from, hey, it's Ian. I'm in jail. Pick me up. Something like that. <laughs> you don't think they, they would know they had to like review those before they sent them out. Right. No, I used to do it. Did you really? Yeah. Allegedly. Ooh, skeletons are coming out of the closet now. Oh, shady guy. I can never trust this one. Yeah, I know. Always nice and polite. Something up with you. I always knew it. Always. Yeah. Well, you know what you can trust is that you can find us on scatterbrain pod on Twitter and at scatterbrain pod SD is in San Diego on Instagram. There you go. And you know what apparently else you can trust? What's that? Is that we're going to get smacked by a friggin' asteroid. Did you read that thing about the asteroid? I did not. I did read something interesting about some space rocks, though. Tell me about the asteroid first. Uh, an asteroid was discovered, um, I believe it was yesterday, maybe even today. But it, was just, it, it landed in between Greenland and Iceland. And astronomers picked it up, you know. And, but they discovered it only two hours before it hit. So they knew kind of where it was going to hit and that as one was going to hit. And it was pretty small. It was like a meter or something. So it burned up in the atmosphere, I believe. When was this? I'm sorry to interrupt you. When was this? Like just right recently that you read the article or re that it happened? I think it happened yesterday. I I'm going to look it up right now because I just read about it. 
And I was like, oh, shit. Cause it's pretty freaking interesting that that happens that they discover it. And it, it's like so soon that there's, even if it was huge or there'd be nothing we could do about it. That's crazy. Huh? Yeah, that is. Well, here's another one. Bus size asteroid flies by earth today. Watch it live. Oh geez. That was 10 hours ago. Um, it will make a safe flyby of earth today, March 13th from any spot with good internet access. What? Weather permitting, the virtual telescope project will live stream telescope views of the recently found asteroid 2022 ES3, which will pass by our planet just slightly within the orbit of the moon. Oh, I read about that one too. Uh, yeah, that's the, that's the other one. They discovered that a while back though, I believe. But that one is a 40 feet wide. That's a big one, size of a bus. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty big. That's big. 207,000 miles or 330,000 kilometers of the Earth today, according to NASA. And uh, it, they discovered the asteroid on March 7th. So that's only, damn, that's only six days ago. And that is typical for near-Earth asteroid finds. That's crazy, though. And then the other one was yesterday, but that one was tiny. That was like just a meter. Look, man, look, there's, there's stuff flying around everywhere, you know? And there's a reason why this planet's been around so long, because whatever atmosphere and whatever other magnetic forces and whatever else make it in such a way that it's got that shield. There's a reason why we, we don't look like the moon. They've cataloged uh, one like 1,400,000 near-Earth asteroids just in our solar system, ones that they have picked up and can catalog and they can see. But there are so many that are coming from the sun that they just have never seen, or ones that kind of fly with us in our orbit. And they look like they're stationary, but they're not. That's scary. Yeah. Well, if, you, if they look like they're stationary relative to us, then that's a good thing because we're not going to like getting closer. No, the key word is they look stationary, but they're not. They're still heading for us. Um, let's see. The closest asteroid will approach Earth at a safe distance that is about 87% of the average distance from the Earth to the moon. The moon is typically 238,855 miles or 384,400 kilometers from us, from Earth. And uh, they, meaning NASA, watches for asteroids through partner telescopes and space observations coordinated through the Planetary Defense Coordination Office. That's a thing. That's trippy. While the agency has found no imminent problems, it does test out asteroid defense technologies to be proactive. The, the problem is that the ones that like just the ones that do hit us, a lot of those we just don't see because they come from the sun and they can't be tracked. Yeah, and there's just so much to, to monitor, I would presume. You know, they're already tracking thousands and thousands of pieces of space debris with pretty good precision millions it seems like you can't keep track of everything well not just man-made so not just asteroids but man-made stuff there's millions of that's pieces. what i'm referring yeah, to yeah all the crazy. debris in orbit now i wonder how long it takes a satellite once it's decommissioned or or it doesn't work anymore how long it takes them to deorbit and then crash to earth because do you remember skylab well you're only a couple years old but skylab fell to the earth i believe in 1979 and it landed like in the middle of Australia. And that one, that deorbited pretty quickly. I mean, within a couple of years. Yeah, I think they can kind of manage that, right? I mean, for the most part, they can do all the math and figure out where they got to skip it or hit it to- Yeah, sort of, depending on, you know, whether they have enough fuel to like give it a boost or, or you know, thrust it into deorbiting. But um, it depends on the orbit itself because some of them are circular, some are elliptical, and some are like way out, some of the orbits are way out past the moon, which is trippy. And some are in that Lagrange point where they just stay stationary. So they don't even move. That's what that um, the James Webb telescope is doing. That one's just stationary, I mean, just in that little spot where all the aliens hang out so we can't see them. That James Webb telescope is amazing. I heard about a documentary about it that I really want to see. I forget what it's called. But I guess it took them 20, 22 years, something like that, to build this thing and get it out. It was supposed to be, I think it was initially supposed to be launched like in 2015 or something. And it just kept getting pushed back, pushed back, you know, over budget. And then something's wrong with the mirrors or something happened, you know, change of administrations, this and that. And then it finally got launched, uh, what, last year? Yeah, that sounds right. I guess they've, I've seen some stuff in the news where they're starting to send some very rudimentary images back because they're, start, they're uh, trying to align all the mirrors and everything, getting it set up. But it's amazing. You know, that thing's the size of like, I think it's a, the, the panels on it when it unfurls. I think it's the size of like a tennis court, you know, to shield, shield it yeah. from the sun because it has to be shielded from the sun or else we're not going to get anything. But that's, that's amazing. 
And then the fact that they made it with all those little, uh, were they octagons? What are those shapes? I you believe know, that maybe they're hexagons or hexagons. Octagons. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And that's the way they had to do it because it was so big. They couldn't just make one piece. But that thing's, yeah, that thing's amazing. And there's so many different systems that have to come together, right? You might be the the uh, optics guy or you might be the hydraulics guy or whatever it is. And they all have to come together and make these complex systems work because you can't go fix it. Well, in that one too, you, uh, when, when Hubble went up, there was a little bit of a, um, th- when they, when they ground down the, the, uh, when they ground down the glass for the, for the Hubble te- telescope, it was a little bit off. So the thing ended up like nearsighted. Do you remember that? And so all the pictures that they initially got back were all fuzzy and they're like, what the fuck is going on? And so they had to basically go up and do a spacewalk and um, like three or four different spacewalks to, to basically put glasses on the Hubble telescope. And it wasn't really operational until like three or four years after it was put up into space because of that little tiny error, that little flaw. And that's crazy. If, if James Webb didn't work, it's gone. Billions of dollars are just yeah. gone. There is no yeah. spacewalk to fix that thing. It's just gone. So they had to get it right. So there's another reason it, it lagged on getting out there. So amazing though, you know? Yeah. So monkeys are monkeys are doing fairly good nowadays. Yeah, we're not quite to what is it? Stage one of the uh, what scale is that? Not the Kepler scale. Uh, the uh, Kardashev. Kar- yeah, the Kardashev scale. I think we're estimated at like 0. 0.4 or something, which is like nothing. Wow, well, really. nothing. Yeah, point one is point one is where you use all of the resources of your planet, right? Resources of your planet, and then two is two is when you can like use all the energy from your star. And then they do the major jump, which is kind of weird. Your entire galaxy, you can use all the resources. Just, that jump just always kills me. It's like, there's nothing in between there, buddy. Well, they're theoretical, and there probably are stages, right? If you said we're 0.4, and they're probably... It's like album ratings when we start talking about albums. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what was it you were going to say, though? Something you just read? Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, I read an article about NASA and some rocks that they grabbed from the moon 50 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I guess between 69 and 72, they brought back 842 pounds of moon rock and dust with them. And of course, they've done studies and samples and all that, right? But what I thought was pretty cool is that with all this stuff, there were two containers that they vacuum sealed on the moon and then put that thing into another vacuum seal and they kept it like that for this whole time. And there's two tubes that they did. And I guess they're going to open up one now. And I guess their idea was that they, they thought that, or they knew that the, the scientific technology and equipment would be much better decades later. They wanted to preserve it completely within the vacuum. So they're going to open it in a vacuum and start analyzing all these different things. I thought that was a pretty cool effort to make, you know? Yeah, that is cool. Um, did you hear about the thing where oh, was, there was some country recently who thought they got because when they did all their like goodwill touring and stuff after they landed on the moon the first time like buzz aldrin and neil armstrong they toured all these countries right and they gave little bits of moon rock to all these different countries and i forget where maybe it was switzerland or sweden recently had theirs analyzed and it turns out it was fake oh gee <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that could have possibly happened. Maybe someone switched it out in the beginning, or maybe they were given a fake rock, which is fucking bullshit, dude. But I I don't know. I just read that a couple months ago. And I how would they determine that though? Like, how was that? I'm not calling it into question, but how how was that determined? They just sampled it and said, wait a second, the radioisotope levels or whatever of this. Well, sure. When when they they initially analyzed the moon samples right after they came back, you know, they have all all that all that documented what everything you know chemically what everything is comprised of all you got to do is compare that to the rock that you get you know whatever country got it and then and then go hey wait a minute this rock came from fucking utah you know hey man this is concrete exactly (laughs) that sucks dude anyway yeah well you know one thing uh apparently that we can count on in life is claustrophobia oh hell yeah dude Back in episode 95 of Scatterbrain Podcast, as part of our Metal Assault series, we talked with Marcus of Claustrophobia. He does guitar and the vocals. And he was a great interview and a cool guy to talk to. And we saw firsthand and in person that they 
kick some major ass live. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. During the, that conversation with him, he mentioned the upcoming release of their new album, and it's finally out. I'd heard the new singles, but was looking forward to hearing the thing in full. I know what I thought about it. <laughs> Can't wait to hear about what you thought about it. I want you to go first. Because I went on and on about violence first last time, so I want you to go first. Okay. Well, I guess uh, stay tuned. Jug, 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 jug. All right, dude. All right, dude. Sock it to me. Sock it to me. <laughs> All right. Well, we're talking about Unleashed. Uh, Claustrophobia's latest release came out on March 11th, 2022. It's nine tracks, 33 minutes, 39 seconds. Um, for those who missed the episode with Marcus and those who have not heard of Claustrophobia, I just would mention briefly that they're a three-piece. Uh, they're death metal, but you would say they're maybe thrash-infused. Uh, they're from Sao Paulo, Brazil, and their current members include Kyle D'Angelo on drums and Marcus D'Angelo, his brother, on guitars and vocals, and Rafael Yamada on bass and backing vocals. This album, Unleashed, uh, I'm sorry, Unleashed, is their seventh full-length album. The previous one was released in 2016, so this was long overdue. Uh, I'm going to say right off the bat that I love this thing. It's right. You know how that last week we talked about violence and this was like, you were pondering on giving it a 9.5 because and I could see it. Cause it's you're right down your alley. This is your thing. Yeah. Well, this is my thing. The nineties death metal shit. That sounds like similar and influenced by Sepultura and big just, time. Yeah. And just that 90s sound. I love it. Hey man, that's my thing too, though. I was always a huge Sepultura fan. I still am. I, this is fucking awesome, dude. Yeah, I thought it was killer. Um, it, it was just, like I said, right down my alley. And they, they, it wasn't all the same. It, was, it didn't all sound the same. There were lots of changes. Yeah. And I mean, even the, like the last track was at 2020. Mm -hmm. that, that's like, that would be like their radio hit. You know what I mean? Totally radio song. Not in a bad way. I'm not saying that detrimentally. But I could see it playing on like Rock 105.3 or something, you know, the rock station here. It felt like that was intentional, too, you know, but it was still a yeah. fucking great song. But it was like a, a an ode to 2020, the whole weird thing that happened. Yeah, I thought right, that was kind of yeah. cool. But I love it, man. Did you have any favorite songs on here? Because I could tell you some that stood out for me. But what, what do you think? I like I well, I like the first song a lot, but I like the encrypted dude. That song's badass. And uh, I think Psycho Sapiens is my other favorite song. Psycho Sapiens is awesome. Yeah, fuck yeah, dude. Um, I, I actually don't have a, a song on here that I would call throwaway that, or that I don't like. This is all, this is all good. It's all good. Yeah, another one I'm going to throw in there is Snakehead. Oh, yeah. That was, yeah. that was, could be my favorite. I don't know, man. That was just, uh, I don't know. It just was awesome. And uh, even down to like the length of the album. You know, thir 33 minutes, nine tracks. Perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. because Yeah, because it's over and it's like, holy shit, that was good. And a part of, yeah, a part of me wants to put it right back on, but I give it a little bit of time. But that's what you want is when it, when it ends, you go, oh, fuck, I want to hear that again. This one has it. Yeah, this has that. I've been listening to this. It came out just a couple of days ago. I've been listening to it. Not exclusively, but pretty much exclusively. This is fucking awesome. I like it a lot. Well, it only came out on Friday, right? So again, just like last week, we got, we were given two days to to cram in the listens, and we had a couple little tidbits beforehand for a month or so, just like last time. It's kind of a um, kind of a hard way to do it if the album isn't that good. But these last two albums have been pretty fucking good, perfect length. And uh, yeah, dude, I've been listening to this over and over. I give it well more than three listens. Yeah, oh yeah, I got the I got the three listen thing probably in the first twenty four hours. Like I said, it was short <laughs> enough. <laughs> oh, absolutely i heard this thing and i think i sent it to you like it's out and i, and I think i said didn't i say something like wow or you something just, yeah just, just wow <laughs> and it's like that whole you know let's not pre-review it before we review it you know shut up shut up shut up but um just like violence you can't help it you hear it and you just go wow text yeah. usually you'll text me back and go shut up you know but i agree this is a wow album this is badass i think this is the best stuff they've done yeah this is really really good oh you think so too <laughs> you think <laughs> Do you think this is their best stuff? Uh, it could be. It could be. I think all of it sounds different. Like the earlier stuff when they're singing in Portuguese and everything, it all, it's all different. 
Yeah. But this is like, uh, how do I put it? When we saw them at the Metal Assault thing, dude, they were monsters. Their bass player is a monster. They're just like, they they tore it up. And so then this is just like them, all the stuff that they that I liked about the previous previous material. This is just them, better production, like better musicians. And they do, we had talked about it before. I don't know if it was on the podcast or, at, you know, just on our own time, but like how they would do strange things with the timing, like slow down and then speed up with these things. And it was. I've never seen it done in the way they do it though. Usually, I mean, when bands do that, usually it's like a four, four thing. And then you skip into the next pattern and then it slows down or speeds up. Whatever. They're doing it within the four, four timing which is fucking trippy. Yeah, like within the phrase. Within the phrase, yeah, and it's really trippy. Like when you hear something just do, 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 It's like speeding up and slowing down. And it sounds almost like a tape warping. And I'm watching it on, you know, on stage just going, what, am I tripping right now? Am I so tired that I'm seeing this? But they were doing that intentionally and it was insane. The fact that they can do that, they have that sort of connection with each other to pull that off professionally and and well so it sounds cool and it it doesn't sound like it's just muddy or or kind of overlapping but they're like following each other perfectly these guys are way better than i ever thought they were in the past because i have heard them for a long time i wasn't a huge fan in the past you know i i heard them since i heard their first album i think was 1999 or 2000 and i heard that when it first came out and i thought it was good but it didn't like stick with me to where i just always listened to them but coming back to them later in life man they are really fucking good yeah yeah period period but what i like about this not just the length and the songs are well written but they cut out all the extraneous bullshit there's no filler in this there's no filler. it's heavy as hell man heavy as hell yeah good job guys fucking a yeah we're talking about unleashed from claustrophobia check it out i would give it we we almost forgot the ratings i almost forgot the ratings do you want to hear mine yeah so I think like last week you were toying with the idea of giving it the violence album a 9.5. But I had to be reasonable. Yep. Yeah. That's how I'm feeling with this one. Uh-huh. I think that a 9.5 would be premature given it's only been a couple of days, but it's a, you know, solid, 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 good album. I've heard some stuff and I've listened to a lot of things that we haven't talked about on here. Mm-hmm. And this is probably my favorite whether it's something that was released in 2022 or not this is probably the favorite my favorite thing that i've listened to in 2022 so i'm gonna give it a nine with the caveat that at the year interview this could potentially this will will, actually will probably make it to 9.5 but yeah it's only been a couple days i love it it's good i completely agree it's same with last week for me. I was like, is this a 9.5? I think it is, but I'm going to give it a nine as well. This is fucking great. Yeah. It's hard to argue with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It almost makes me want to just executive decision. We're going to do 9.25. <laughs> well, I was thinking about that today, actually, because I really wanted to give it a rating. And then I thought, why am I locking myself into a 0.5? We could, there's no reason not to, right? I could, I could give this a 9.25 or a 9.2. Sure. All right. We're going to bump it up or down anyway at the end of the year. So yeah. or, keep, or keep it the same. So it doesn't really matter. But yeah, it is. It is pretty much getting to that 100 point scale when you're doing that. Yeah. Well, it's really good. Regardless of whatever silly rating we give it, it's really good. I think you check it out. If we're going to do that, though, I'd probably right now I'd give it a 9.2. <laughs> same. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, this is great, man. Now, now it's unleached like a leech on your skin. Unleached. L-E-E-C-H. Now, I heard when I heard Andrew first say that when we were interviewing Marcus, um, I thought he like mispronounced, you know, made a made an error in his speech or something, because I kind of like an eyebrow raised, like, did he mean unleashed? Because he said unleashed, and uh, there was no like, there was no like subtle, you know, movements from Marcus to indicate that he made a mistake or anything. So I was like, does he mean unleashed or unleashed? So that's a pretty. I like that play on words. And I'm surprised no other band has ever used that before. Yeah. And they're all beasts. Three piece. Now from Las Vegas, actually. Originally from Sao Paulo. But next we are going to talk about Library of Alexandria. So last week we talked about technology and lost knowledge. And during that discussion, we pondered what else had been lost to time. 
and you had brought up the Library of Alexandria, and it seemed like a logical follow-up topic for this week. So, now as part of a larger research institution called the Moseon, I don't know how to pronounce that. M O U S E M I C K E Y. Oh, sorry, Moseon, Moseon, and that was dedicated to the Muses, the nine goddesses of the arts. And um, the idea of a universal library in Alexandria um, was believed to be proposed by Demetrius of Phalerum, an exiled Athenian statesman living in Alexandria, to Ptolemy I Soter. It was about like th 300 BC, right? Something like that. And he may have established plans for the library, um, but the library itself uh, most likely was not built until the reign of his son, Ptolemy II Philadelphus. And it quickly, uh, it quickly acquired many papyrus uh, scrolls, uh, owing largely to Ptolemaic King's aggressive and well-funded policies for procuring uh, texts and scrolls. They would just snatch them. They wanted to have everything, a copy of everything in the world, right? That everything, was their deal. Any, everything ever written by any author, it didn't matter. Ever. They just wanted it. They wanted everything. Yep. And... Uh, it's unknown precisely how many such scrolls were housed at any given time, but estimates range from like 40,000 to, you know, upwards of like 500,000. I've even read a couple things uh, that, that think that there may, there may have been actually up to a million texts there, um, which is insane, you know, um, and it came to be regarded as the capital of knowledge uh, in part because of the great library, Alexandria did. Many important and influential scholars worked at the library during the third and second centuries BC, like you're saying. Now, there were like Zenodotus of Ephesus, and he worked towards standardizing the texts of the Homeric poems, you know, Homer. Um, Callimachus, who wrote the Panaches, sometimes considered to be the world's first library catalog. He like, he alphabetized everything for the first time. Which was supposed to be of everything ever made. That's a big task. Right. But I thought that was a little odd that no one thought of alphabetizing things in order to like catalog them before. But I guess no one had this many, you know, scrolls and texts in their possession before. I, I don't know. There's a, you have to run, you have to walk, you know, someone had to think about that. Someone had to think about. Had to do it first. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So this is, it. I guess, Alexandria is in Egypt, pretty much essentially the modern day Egypt, I guess, like the crux of civilization, right? I mean, ancient civilization. It was it's in Egypt. It's on the coast, uh, northern Egypt. Um, it was taken over. It was conquered by Alexander the Great, hence the name Alexandria. And it has kept that name ever since, which is interesting, in my opinion. But um, yeah, and he was actually, he kind of overthrew the pharaohs. And I believe Greek statesmen and politicians ended up ruling Alexandria after that, after the whole uh, Cleopatra thing debacle, I should say. Now, Cleopatra comes into this because uh, because of the whole Julius Caesar thing. You know that, right? And um, and uh, uh, what was his name? Mark Anthony. Not the singer. He's not that old. He only looks that old. <laughs> yeah, good, good <laughs> clarification there. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and there was also Callimachus who wrote the Panakis, uh, and that, that was the world's first catalog. Uh, Ap Apollonius, Apollonius of Rhodes. Now, he composed the epic poem. Now, I didn't know this until I researched this. He composed the epic poem, Argonautica. Now, he was of Cyrene, you know, Greece. Now, he calculated the circumference of the earth within a few hundred kilometers of accuracy, dude, way back then. It's amazing. And I believe Argonautica is what, um, what in the Argonauts, what were those movies? Jason and the Argonauts. That's what that is. I never saw those. Oh, you, oh, those still action, those stop motion movies. They're pretty funny. Yeah. They're, they're good. But that whole story is one of the few things that actually survived from the library of Alexandria. So, so stuff did, did last. I, I kind of was under the impression that, that it, they really didn't, that they didn't find a lot of these buildings and a lot of these structures that they thought should have been there. That was. There were also bits and pieces because it wasn't the only library. There was a sister library as well. And, you know, some, they were interchanged. Some bits were here. Some bits were there. There were also people who studied at, at the library and after it burned down, those texts were gone. So there were people who had, like, they recounted things that they read and wrote it down. So you have, like, secondhand knowledge of some of the texts that were there that are now lost. So there's a, there's a little bit of history that's left, but not a whole lot. And there are some things that did survive, actually. Um, 
now where are we at here uh now yo the daughter library um was established in the serapium uh, a temple to the greco-egyptian god serapis now um that was during the reign of uh, ptolemy the third eurigetes now he would the, he'd be the grandson of the original ptolemy obviously right and despite the widespread belief that the library of alexandria was burned once and destroyed what we we're just talking about the library actually declined gradually over the course of many centuries. And the decline began with the purging of intellectuals from Alexandria in 145 BC during the reign of Ptolemy VIII Sicon. That's a great name, dude. <laughs> so what would this be the equivalent of today? Uh, book burning and shutting down websites, shutting down Instagram accounts? I'm not sure why this Ptolemy VIII Sicon, Sicon is what it looks like. Sicon. Um, I'm not sure why he had uh, purged the intellectuals at all. I didn't. I didn't get to that part. I didn't read yeah, that part. Threatened. I'm sure just threatened. Right. These guys challenged the status quo. No, these are not people that thought about. You pissed him off, and that's why there's rain. I can tell you why there's rain. The Earth's not flat. I guess, but that resulted in. Uh, there was a point in time where it was illegal and punishable by death to suggest that. The whole universe didn't revolve around the earth depending on who was in charge and now we're talking right we're talking Ptolemy the eighth so what would that the one who thought up the library would have been his what great 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 grandfather god damn these guys ruled a long time um but that that purging caused uh aristarchus of samothrace and now he was the head librarian he resigned from his position and exiled himself to cyprus um, so I'm surprised he didn't get purged too. I guess they, uh, I guess exiling yourself was purging as well. Many other scholars, including uh, Dionysus, um, Thorax, <laughs> Apollodorus of Athens, fled to other cities where they continued teaching and conducting scholarly learned research and teaching. The library or part of its collection was accidentally burned by fucking Julius Caesar during his civil war in 48 BC, but it is unclear how much was actually destroyed and it seems to have been either survived or been rebuilt shortly thereafter it was destroyed. To me, and I guess going back to what we were saying, someone had to do it first. But to me, it would seem that these guys should have known that things burn, papyrus burns. Well, I'm getting to that, though. I'm getting to that, how that happened. Yeah. Now, the geographer Strabo mentions having visited the... Oh, I know what you're going to say. Totally. I'm just going to say... Do you know what I'm going to say? Yeah, go ahead. Say it. Go ahead. Say it. Go ahead. Say it. Because I think I'm getting to it. Didn't they make more copies? Exactly. writing this shit down by hand anyways and you put it somewhere else exactly but here's the thing but you know how long it took to make one copy of that shit it would take yeah. fucking months maybe years yeah. so um strabo mentions having the geographer strabo mentions having visited um, the, the mausion in around 20 bc and the prodigious output of Demidius Calis, these names, dude, Demidius Calicentris in Alexandria indicates that he had access to at least some of the library's resources. So that's how some of the knowledge still survived. The library dwindled during the Roman period, of course. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, from a lack of funding and support. Uh, its membership appears to have ceased by the 260s AD or common era. Between 270 and 275 common era, the city of Alexandria saw a, a Palmyrian, uh, Palmyrian invasion and an imperial counterattack that probably destroyed whatever remained of the library. So that's actually what kind of wiped it out. So is something like that intentional or is it just a side effect? Sounds intentional. Or maybe a side, yeah, maybe yeah. a side effect of war. You know, war just destroys shit. So um, the daughter library of the Serapium may have survived after the main library, Library of Alexandria's destruction. The Serapium was vandalized and demolished in 391 AD under a decree issued by Coptic Christian Pope Theophilus of Alexandria, but it does not seem to have housed books at the time and was mainly used as a gathering place for Neoplatonist philosophers. So it was just like a gathering place where they could talk. There was nothing left in there. Now, the library was not the first library of its kind, though. That's the thing. A long tradition of libraries existed in Greece and the ancient Near East. The earlier recorded archive of written materials comes from the ancient Sumerian city-state of Uruk in around 3400 BC, dude. Isn't that crazy? That's much further than 300. Yeah. Um, writing had only just begun to develop at that time. Scholarly curation of literary texts began in around 2500 BC in Uruk. Uh, the later kingdoms of the ancient Near East had long traditions of book collecting. 
And the Hittites and Assyrians had massive archives containing records written in many different languages. The most famous library of the ancient Near East was the library of Ashurbanipal in Nineveh, founded in the seventh century BC by the Assyrian king Ashurbanipal. Now he ruled from 668 to 627 BC, one year, Oh, no, 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 no. 668 to 627. <laughs> okay. Uh, like a horrible leader. Or, or that, or you got a lot of shit done in one year. A large library also consisted in Babylon during the reign of Nebuchadnezzar II. And that would have been 605 to 562 BC. That's interesting because it's probably around the time, right, where they would do this whole story of the Tower of Babylon. I mean, I have no idea. Right. But that's like that whole, oh, you're getting too big for your britches kind of thing. You don't want to build a uh tower mythical you know tower to the to the heavens right you can't do that we're gonna knock you down a level you're becoming too much like you think you're gods you you you, you can't reach me because i'm god right yeah in greece the athenian tyrant uh Mm. was said to have founded the first major public library in the sixth century bc it was out of this mixed heritage of both greek and near eastern book collections that the idea for the library of alexandria was first born Now, Macedonian kings who succeeded Alexander the Great as rulers of the Near East wanted to promote Hellenistic culture and learning throughout the known world. So this is a hubris thing, dude. It has been referred to as a program of cultural imperialism. Sound familiar? (laughs) White people. They're all the same. These rulers, therefore, had a vested interest to collect and compile information from both the Greeks and from uh, more ancient kingdoms of the Near East. Uh, libraries enhanced the city's prestige and attracted scholars imagine that you want to have smart people living in your city so you can use them to make you better unless you're a psycho tyrant you want to purge all the doctors and learned people like seems to happen a lot through history right it's interesting how that happens right again going back to don't get too big for your britches i know what's better which is part of the reason a lot of the, the the texts that were remaining were destroyed was because of the purge from ptolemy the eighth right Alexandria was unprecedented, though, because of the scope and scale of Ptolemy's ambition, Ptolemy II, the son. Now, unlike their predecessors and contemporaries, the Ptolemies wanted to produce a repository of all knowledge, which is pretty ambitious, don't you think? Yeah, it's like the internet, right? (laughs) I guess. It's kind of, it's weird to, it's weird having Google now in my middle age and thinking back to when I was in my teens and 20s and you had to go to the fucking library, dude. You couldn't just bring something up. I know. And I guess in the old days, old days, people used to call the library and ask for factoids like that. Oh, damn. Another thing I never, I never thought of. I would have done that. Or, or those, uh, you know, the library Britannica things, the guys would walk around and sell it to your door. Yeah. Yeah. My, my parents upgraded those frequently and we, we refer to those as well. I used to read the encyclopedia. Oh, absolutely. The Britannica, the ones where they had like yeah. supposedly all knowledge, whatever. Little tidbits I don't know about, about the all knowledge, but I used to read them. Yeah. We had the sets and we'd, upgrade them as well but i used to love just grabbing one and reading now the library was one of the largest and most significant libraries of the ancient world uh, details about it are a mixture of history and legend so there comes a little bit of a problem the earliest known surviving source of information on the founding of the library of alexandria um, was a letter of aristius Ar- Ar- which was composed between circa 180 and circa 145 BC, and it claims the library was founded during the reign of Ptolemy the first Soter, so the, the main guy, and that it was initially organized by Demetrius of, of Phalerum and uh, a student of Aristotle, who had been, he was a student of Aristotle, who had been exiled from Athens for, uh, to Alexandria, and he took refuge there within the Ptolemaic court. The rulers worked to expand the library's collection through a, this is what you were talking about earlier, through a policy a well-funded policy of book purchasing, right? But they would dispatch agents with large amounts of money and ordered them to collect as many texts as possible about any subject and by any author. Older copies of texts were favored over newer ones since it was assumed that older copies had undergone, undergone less copying and therefore were more likely to more closely resemble what the original author mm-hmm. had written, which makes sense. Sure. Now, yeah, and according to the Greek uh, medical writer Galen, under the decree of Ptolemy II, any books found on ships in their harbor that came into port were taken to the library. They're just absconded. They just with. snatch them. They're they just now. seize them. Now they had a they had they were copied there by official scribes. The the boats were made to wait, and then the original texts were kept in the library, and copies would be delivered back to the owners. So they kept the originals. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I guess they could do nothing. I mean, ultimately, right? They could just snatch it from you. So at least they're giving you a copy. It's better than nothing, I suppose. But like here, we'll just use lube. I was going to say that probably the idea being that those were just supposed to be the, the original pure texts, right? Well, like and it was oldest. foundation of Alexandria was ruled by Greece at that point, you know, for a long time. And it was the foundation of their education. And they were, it was revered above all other poetry and poems. The library acquired many different manuscripts of those poems. Now, um, the scholar and poet Callimachus compiled the Panakis, a 120-book catalog of various authors and their known works. This is crazy. Um, that Panakis has not survived, but enough references to it and fragments of it have survived to allow scholars to reconstruct its basic structure. And it was divided into multiple sections, each containing entries for writers of the particular genre of literature. The most basic division was between writers of poetry and prose with each section divided into smaller subsections. Each section listed authors in alphabetical order for the first time. Each entry, wow. include, each entry included the author's name, father's name, place of birth, and other brief biological, uh, biographical information. The entries for prolific authors such as Euscales, Euripides, Sophocles, and Theophrastus, 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 must have been extremely long, spanning multiple columns of text. Now, uh, Callimachus's pupil Hermippus of Smyrna wrote biographies. Uh, Phil oh God, I got to say these over and over. Philostephanus and of Cyrene studied geography, and Istios studied Attic antiquities. I don't know what Attic antiquities is. I didn't have time to look that up. Does that sound familiar to you? It's old A shit. A T T I C antiquities. <laughs> What's that? Old shit. Oh, okay. It's just old shit. Like in the attics? I don't know. Yeah. Now, after after uh, Zeno noted us, he was the the original librarian, I believe. He either died or retired. Ptolemy the second, Philadelphus appointed Apollonius of Rhodes, Apollonius of Rhodes, and native of Alexandria and student of Callimachus, the second head librarian of the Library of Alexandria. Philadelphus also appointed Apollonius of Rhodes, who is best known as the author of the Argonautica, what I was talking about. Now, that was the epic poem about the voyages of Jason and the Argonauts. Now, that has survived to the present in its complete form. The Argonautica displays his vast knowledge of history and literature and makes allusions to a vast array of events and texts while simultaneously imitating the style of the Homeric poems. Now, according to legend, during the librarianship of Apollonius, uh, the mathematician and inventor Archimedes came to visit the Library of Alexandria. Now, during this time is when he was said to have observed the rise and fall of the Nile, and that led him to invent the Archimedes screw. You know what that is, don't you? The term sounds familiar. No, I haven't. I don't know what it is off the top of my head. Well, it's just it's like a screw. It's like a tube with a screw in it and a handle, and it, they use it to transport water from low-lying bodies into irrigation ditch, ditches. So it was like the first time people could bring water up against gravity. And it was, it was from the Nile that apparently Archimedes figured that one out. Well, there's a lot of, lot of stuff there. I mean, you, you look talking about stuff from thousands of years ago, right? I mean, this was supposed to have been burned 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Right, right. Great Library of Alexandria. And I mean, we talked before about the rise and fall of technologies. How many times has it happened to go through different periods of rise and fall of the quest for knowledge? where you have people actively gaining it and have act people actively destroying it. So it just makes you wonder how much has been lost again, right? Yeah, no shit. Yeah. I mean, it's cool that people took note of all this stuff. Well, the, the librarians, the librarians that were, were there were pretty, I mean, they were held in pretty high prestige too. And there's a bunch of them, but. Um... Well, it took, I mean, I'm not saying that being a librarian now doesn't take skill, but back then they had to be the scribes. I mean, they had to be the ones that were writing things and organizing them and cataloging them. I mean, that was a skill set in and of its own. Of its and own. they also had to like get the little like talking, you know, like little seminars together. They had to, because the, the writers, the philosophers and scientists writers that were there, they lived there. And they were they lived there free of charge and they were fed all free of charge in order to free them of the burdens of the world so they could focus on just their scientific and writing endeavors. Just think. Yeah, and, and he had just to like think. organize all these people. The only requirement was they had to teach, quote, sometimes. So whenever they wanted to teach some students, they would hold a class, but they didn't necessarily have to. They just had to teach sometimes, which is kind of a great deal, dude. 
That's that's pretty good. Now the the third guy, his name was uh, Aristophanes of Syrian. Now he's best known for uh, scientific works. He was a literary scholar as well. His most important work was the treatise Geographica. Now it was originally three volumes, and that work has not survived. That's one of the things that was lost. Fragments of it are preserved through quotation and writings of the latter geographer Strabo. Um, so he's kind of the one who's been able to, you know, in, in 20 BC or whatever it was, was able to kind of write this stuff down and, and save some of it. When you have something like that, I mean, you're relying on this guy, right? He's probably paraphrasing. Oh, sure. Yeah. So. And he has, he had, he has bits and fragments of what was left at the time too, which doesn't survive now. Yeah. So he's going off of what he's writing, what he's reading and things he's heard through, you know. He remembered or, oh, I remember something about this and writing yeah, it down. In and oral history too, from other philosophers, right? So a lot of it could get you know lost yeah. in translation or, or changed. Now, he mm -hmm. was the first scholar to apply mathematics to geography and map making. And in his treatise concerning the measurement of the earth, he calculated the circumference of the earth and was only off by less than a few hundred kilometers. Dude, that's amazing. That's Especially amazing. considering they didn't really know about the quote new world at the time, but they still were able to, to measure the circumference. He also produced a map of the entire known world, which incorporated information taken from sources held in the library including accounts of Alexander the Great's campaigns in India and reports written by elephant hunting expeditions along the coast of East Africa. Um, and yeah, that's insane, dude, that he actually got it that close. That's crazy. Now, we're talking about Ptolemy VIII, Sycon, his expulsion of the scholars from Alexandria. Now, that brought about a shift in the history of Hellenistic scholarship. The scholars who had studied at the Library of Alexandria and their students continued to conduct research and write treatises but most of them no longer did so in association with the library because they were getting all purged. Uh, Erasticus's student, Dionysus Thrax, established a school on the Greek island of Rhodes. Um, Dionysus wrote the first book on Greek grammar, a succinct guide to speaking and writing clearly and effectively. This book remained the primary grammar textbook for Greek schoolboys until as late as the 12th century AD, dude. The Romans... Wow, that's amazing. Uh, you know, the actually, Romans huh? base their grammatical writings on it, and its basic format remains the basis the basis for grammar guides in many languages even to this day. Isn't that nuts? It's like it's like MLM or APA format. How they come up with yeah, back then though. Thousands of years earlier. Now one of his pupils was Apollodorus of Athens. Now he went to Alexandria's greatest rival, Pergamum, where he taught and conducted research. Now, let's see. Meanwhile, in Alexandria, from the middle and second century BC onwards, Ptolemaic rule in Egypt grew less stable than it had been previously. And confronting with social unrest, the later Ptolemies did not devote as much attention towards the library uh, as their predecessors. The status of both the library and the head librarian diminished. Several of the later Ptolemies used the position of head librarian as a mere political plum to reward their most devoted supporters. Is that fucking stupid? Ptolemy VIII appointed a man named Sidas as, um, as one of his, he was one of his palace's guards as the head librarian. And Ptolemy IX, Soter II, is said to have given the position to a political supporter who knew nothing about about philosophy eventually the position of head librarian lost <laughs> surprise surprise it lost so much of its former prestige that even contemporary authors ceased to take interest in recording the terms of office for individual head librarians so it just kind of they just stopped recording who the librarian was because it meant nothing because it meant yeah. nothing so that's yeah. part of the whole thing now 48 bc is when julius caesar's civil war think about this dude this was like a great dedication to knowledge like these leaders were very focused on it i mean it's an in interesting idea to just we want to have a record of everything literally everything well, and to have leaders that are okay with it not only okay with it but to fund it and push for for knowledge from other countries other places other civilizations whatever have it all there so they know all that have all that knowledge for anyone to research you know it's pretty rare even today for leaders to want everyone to know everything you know what i mean now caesar's civil war in 48 uh he besieged alexandria his soldiers set fire to some of the Egyptian ships docked in the Alexandrian port uh, while he was trying to clear the wharves of, um, to block the fleet belonging to Cleopatra's brother, Ptolemy the 14th. Holy shit. This fire purportedly spread to parts of the cities near uh, the city nearest the docks, causing considerable, considerable devastation. The first century AD Roman philosopher Seneca, the younger quotes, Livy's ab urbe candida libris as saying that the, the fire started by Caesar destroyed 40,000 scrolls from the library of Alexandria. The Greek middle Platonist Plutarch 
writes in his Life of Caesar that um, when the enemy endeavored to cut off his communication by sea, he was forced to divert that danger by setting fire to his own ships, which after burning the docks, thence spread on and destroyed the great library, unquote. The Roman historian Cassius- Look out of control. Went out of control, just yeah, firestorm. Uh, the Roman historian Cassius Dio, however, writes, Many places were set on fire with the result that, along with other buildings, the dockyards and storehouses of grain and books said to be great in number and of the finest were burned to the ground. However, Flores and Lucan only mentioned that the flames burned the fleet itself and some houses near the sea. So there's still debate as to whether Julius Caesar, Caesar actually like destroyed the library. But when I Googled Library of Alexandria and I, I asked, who destroyed the Library of Alexandria? Enter, right? Boom, it says, it pops up his face, Julius Caesar. I was like, holy shit. Yeah. So it's like common knowledge or commonly accepted that Julius Caesar is the fucking guy who did it. Well, at least by this story. You never know. I mean, this is so long ago, right? Well, he did set fire to the docks and it did spread apparently. So fucking Julius Caesar. Yeah. But it was it was it intentional? Well, yeah, it was totally intentional. Oh, oh burning the library? It doesn't library. sound like it was, does it? It sounds like it just raged out of control. No, yeah, it burned it, his own ships to burn them, block them. And then it just spread and yeah. I actually always thought that he did do it like intentionally. I thought I thought it was an intentional act. I did too. But I think um I don't think it bothered him. You know, I don't think it was something he went, oh oops, oh it was such a terrible thing. You know, uh him and Mark Anthony were so wrapped up in the whole, you know, Cleopatra thing and you know, just war here, war there, power struggles, all that shit. I don't think he gave a crap, you know, what burned and what was, you know, lost to history. He was too wrapped up in that fine ass. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, you never know, man. It's hell of a drug. Scholars have interpreted Cassius Dio's wording as to indicate that the fire did not actually destroy the entire library. This is where it is right here. But rather only a warehouse located near the docks being used by the library to house the scrolls. So that's how the scrolls got destroyed. See what I'm saying? Whatever mm -hmm. de devastation Caesar's fire may have caused, the library was evidently not completely destroyed. Um, the, the geographer Strabo, which we mentioned before, uh, he visited the Maussian, the larger research institution to which the library was attached, in around 20 BC, several decades after Caesar's fire, indicating that it either survived the fire or was rebuilt soon afterwards. Uh, nonetheless, Strabo's manner of talking about the Maussian shows that it was nowhere near the prestigious, as prestigious as it had been a few centuries yeah. prior. Yeah, so it just it mm -hmm. got dilapidated, fell out of, fell out of favor and prestige over the centuries. But that thing was around for many hundreds of years. If no one takes an interest and funds it and maintains it, that's what's going to happen, right? Yeah, definitely. Just look at a, just look at Magic Mountain. Anyway, um, Strabo <laughs> does not. Strabo does not mention the library separately. Uh, perhaps indicating indicating that it had been so drastically reduced in stature and significance that Strabo felt it not even warranted to mention. Yeah, one thing I had heard as well, or I shouldn't say heard, I didn't hear anything, but read was that perhaps this thing, its reputation preceded it, if you will, and it really wasn't at the scale that it was, you know, the legend told. Well, and there are so many great libraries before that as well. So it wasn't like the first, you know, depository of knowledge. It's almost made, because I always kind of thought it was like the first great library yeah. and that it was intentionally burned down by Caesar. So that's all kind of just, uh, you know, myth, I guess. Now, Plutarch's records in his life, he, he furthermore, Plutarch records in his life of Mike, Mark Anthony, that's a, something he wrote, that in the years leading up to the Battle of, of Actium in 33 BC, Mark Antony was rumored to have given Cleopatra all 200,000 scrolls in the library of the per, Pergamum. Plutarch himself notes that his source for this anecdote was sometimes unreliable, and it is possible that the story may be nothing more than propaganda intended to show that Mark Antony was loyal to Cleopatra and Egypt rather than to Rome. Casson, however, uh, argues that even if the story was made up, it would not have been believable unless the library still existed. So Mark Antony's gift may have been intended to replenish the library's collection after the damage to it caused by Caesar's fire roughly a decade and a half prior to that you know what i mean so it's even still he's yeah. trying to like one up caesar you know what a what a soap opera what a drama hell of a drug cleopatra uh -huh. did we talk about this before you know what's weird is that we are closer in time to when cleopatra was alive than cleopatra was in time to when the fucking pyramids were built 
Yeah, actually, I don't know if we talked about that, but I've read that before. That's interesting, right? Because you always associate Cleopatra with that whole pyramid thing. Yeah, or that, yeah, like it's in the same time period, but it actually, yeah, yeah, that's weird. That's closer to us than she was to the pyramids. That's how big a time span, that's how far back the pyramids were supposedly built. But I still think, I still still think it was further back than that, but even further back it would be even more meaningful that that comment would be even more meaningful yeah, it's, it's that perception thing though that the whole perception not just of time just of uh, well like like um what is further west on the on the globe what is further west reno nevada or los angeles california well when you ask it like that i'm going to say that most people would say la because it's on the coast however the curve of the california coast comes in such that sometimes the coastline's facing south and the curvature of the and the curvature so, of the earth you can't yeah. look on it on a 2d right. flat map if you're, right because it gets distorted. on a globe as far as the, the lines you know the, what are the um you know longitude and latitude lines it's fucking reno reno is further west which is insane and i i bet some guy i bet some my old boss this was years ago i bet him that very thing and um he fucking took 50 bucks i bet him 50 bucks and he took 50 bucks out of my check without confirming it first when i won the bet when i said it was reno fucking t- i know <laughs> nice. i know you fucking live andy anyway different cut it no edit, no edit, it's edit, a different edit, andy I, I haven't seen that guy in forever but i i still see it over that it's like you didn't even you didn't even like you didn't even get any confirmation you just assumed you were right and took my money dick you know but yeah it's reno isn't that weird i always thought that was really a fucking strange thing or yeah well I, it's kind of one of those things like i said where you look at some of these coasts the coastal uh beaches by where we're at yep. you know and some of them are south facing or Instead of west, you would envision. Here's west. another trippy thing: San Diego is closer to um, San, San Antonio. Antonio. San Antonio, San Diego is closer to San Antonio than it is to Dallas, Texas. Isn't that weird? It take it take wow. them. Texas is a big ass a state, big dude. Fucking state, dude. You you could drive to San Diego in, in less time than to drive to Dallas within your own state. That's nuts, dude. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's another one. I don't I don't know if it's true or not, but when I heard is like like which is further south or actually maybe the stat or the question the niblet of information was more that new york is about as far south as rome that sounds right which but i think a lot of people think of new york as being cold and rome as being hot so you would think that many people would think that rome is further south oh and it it is considered kind of in the mediterranean sea Yeah. yeah and then yeah it snows in new york and everything and um, I think yeah. I think I heard something like that as well, where it's like I, I think it was, I think it was, not London, but yeah, something like Rome or somewhere pretty far away. You would think would be pretty far south, lines up with New York, and it's like what? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think that was uh, Rome. Yeah, it's pretty trippy. Take it for what you will. I don't know if that's the exact one, but that's what I recall. Yeah. What you think, homie? Well, anyways, dude. Regardless of all this stuff, I mean, you start talking about time and things being lost or burned, and then people recounting it to sort of preserve it. It really comes down to a lot of information has been lost to time. How much more advanced would we be now considering all that knowledge that was lost? You know what I mean? Maybe we would be having the same kind of shit that you see the UFOs and we just aren't there yet now because of the rise and fall. Well, even could it it have been we could have achieved flight 100 years earlier or... Yep. I don't don't know. It's just weird because the things that did survive are pretty ground... I mean, like to, to be able to to judge the distance between one your city and the next city and then somehow use that knowledge to gauge the circumference of the earth and get it within only a few hundred kilometers is pretty impressive man sure based off of the you know the moon's travel across the sky or whatever right Stars it was like the, the shadow it was like a, he used a well and the shadow and the shadow you know from the sun cast down a well and then measured that at the same time okay. of day at the next city and saw the difference and then like did the math to, to figure out oh it's if it's this far and the shadow traveled this much then the earth is this round right it's like i can't even fucking i can't even it's like trigonometry really, it's exactly what it is i can't really wrap my head around how we figure that one out though that's pretty trippy anyway you want to wrap it up yeah again i just go back to the big question which is how many times has have things risen and fallen have we had you know, are some of these UFOs, are they beings that have been around or, 
you know, we've talked about parallel universes or time travelers or whatever, like ultimately the scales keep getting bigger and bigger, longer and longer. And how much has been lost? Where would we be um, if we didn't lose these types of things? But then you t- go back to that Kardashev scale, yeah. right? One of the factors there, or even the, uh, the Drake equation, starting to talk about things like, well, can they make it past a certain point without destroying themselves, right? I mean, we're going to poison ourselves here pretty There's soon. I never really, we never really brought up. Has it ever occurred to you that, you know, like deja vu and everything, but that everything actually has happened before and has just happens over and over and over the same exact thing? Like Groundhog Day. Yeah. Well, yeah, but like this life we live, live and how we were born, just every little detail, just it just repeats. It's the exact same thing, carbon copy from beginning to end. And then, whoop, and it puts on repeat whoop, over and over and over into infinity. Infinite number of times with each infinite permutation on repeat. Holographic universe. That would explain a lot of things, though. It explains the simulation hypothesis. It explains deja vu. It explains all kinds of shit, dude. It really does. It's kind of strange. Do parallel universes, sure. Kind of weird. Oh, uh, um, reincarnation, all that shit. So you're saying that none of it matters because just like Bob Wiley, or not Bob Wiley, Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. What, what's that character's name? Not Bob Wiley. What's the character in Groundhog Day? Hmm. Uh, what was the song that he hears every morning? Um, <laughs> uh, Sonny and Cher. Yeah, um, <laughs> Wow, which song was it though? I got I you, got babe. you, babe. That's right, dude. And yeah. he's like, one eye peels open, like, Ugh. fuck yeah, dude. I can't wait. We're gonna jam. Something to talk about next week. Okay, I will see you later tonight, and we will see you all next week. Uh, we're good, right? Yeah, we're good. Thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>